Welcome to Scale with Sergio, a market scale podcast where industry experts share valuable insights in their areas, from operations and supply chain to finance and sales. I am your host, Sergio Reyes. Supply chains have been impacted heavily by the effects of COVID, trade agreements, and other world events. But even without the impact of those factors, organizations look for ways to optimize their supply chain, gain competitive advantage, reduce transit time, and solve critical delivery issues. Today we will discuss cutting-edge technology that has a high ceiling in terms of building flexible, customizable, and resilient supply chains. This technology is 3D printing, also called additive manufacturing, although additive manufacturing does encompass other technologies. To discuss this topic with me, I have an impressive thought leader in the industry. He is a friend and colleague, Dr. Raimundo Arroyave. Happens that Dr. Arroyave and I graduated from uh, the Monterey Tech back in those days, um, and we both got a mechanical and electrical engineer. And then he proceeded to get his master's and PhD in material science at the uh, MIT. He's a professor of material science and oh my goodness, Let, let's go, go back to that one. To discuss this topic with me, I have an impressive thought leader in the industry. He's a friend and colleague, Dr. Raimundo Arroyave. Happens that Dr. Arroyave and I graduated from Monterey Tech with mechanical and electrical engineering degrees. Then he proceeded to get his master's and PhD in material science at MIT. He's a professor of material science at Texas A&M, where he holds the titles of Presidential Impact Fellow and Chancellor Edges Fellow. His area of expertise is on computational material science and simulation and ma machine learning assisted materials discovery, and design. Among his many areas of interest, he is focusing on design of metallic alloys and processes for additive manufacturing. He has co-authored co multiple journals, conference proceedings, and close to 100 national and international invited talks. Please welcome Raimundo Arroyave. How are you doing today? How are things in College Station? Oh, we're doing fine. Thank you, uh, Sergio. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, and your audience. Uh, well, College Station, like uh, most of the state of Texas, and indeed the U.S. and around the world, we are still uh, in at certain different levels of uh, shelter-in-place uh, recommendations. So I'm working from home. Uh, Texas A&M uh, as a university, we are under limited operation. People that do experiments get to go to the labs. And us people that do computational work, they are asked us to. They are asking us to actually stay at home, work from there, and uh, you know, stay uh, in place until the conditions get better. But we're hopeful that things uh, eventually are going to get better, and we're going to get back to uh, normal operation uh, sometime in the future. I hope so too. Crazy times for sure. Hey, I'm very interested on in this topic. Um, it has a lot of promise uh, for the supply chain and for all the, the production industry, right? I mean, the, the manufacturing industry. So um, let's level set, I guess, and, and let's talk a little bit about what is 3D printing and uh, why is it, call it uh, called additive manufacturing? 
Well, thank you. Yes, let me let me start by defining 3D printing. Uh, and again, you know, 3D printing and IT manufacturing sometimes they are used interchangeably, uh, but there are you know a little bit of a there's a little bit of a difference between uh, both terms. 3D printing refers to the fabrication or manufacturing technology where you deposit a material that you're gonna you know fabricate into a complex part on a layer by layer basis. Uh, you know, in traditional printing, you know, of text on paper, you deposit ink uh, in two dimensions. And in 3D printing, what we're doing is we are actually trying to deposit uh, the material that we're going to uh, transform into something useful on in this, you know, gradual way. And it is called additive manufacturing as opposed to subtractive manufacturing because the way we shape the material into a form is by adding material step-by-step uh, step, um, versus the traditional machining type manufacturing, where what you do is extract or subtract material out of a primitive block or cylinder or cube, et cetera, right? So IT manufacturing is we're actually adding material in place. Subtractive manufacturing, we are sculpting the material away from uh, green form or primitive. Okay, now uh, 3D printing as a, you know a technology or a family of technologies now has been deployed uh, to try to fabricate or to fabricate many different types of materials: uh, polymers, metals, uh, ceramics, uh, biomaterials, and so on. And uh, you know it has already been deployed. Uh, successfully in many industries uh, in particular the high value in particular uh, the high value industries such as biomedical aerospace and to some degree high-end automotive thank you for that that that's a good explanation I appreciate it um, and and I, I recall Raimundo when we were in Monterey Tech uh, probably the beginnings of this technology was rapid prototyping right and in which um, it was used just as a method to for design purposes right but this is moving into the manufacturing actually using the, the element that you produce for for something right yes actually I, I, re I do remember and we I actually remember working on some prototypes back then when we were in college and exactly uh, that was the point of you know rapid prototyping at the time. You actually fabricated a three-dimensional shape or representation of your part that you were designing just to see how it looked in a tangible way, the geometry, whether it fit uh, with the bigger system that you were going to integrate it with, and so on, right? So that was the beginning of 3D printing as a, as a design aid or a design tool. And now we're transitioning, uh, and I must confess that uh, this transition has been uh, quite fast um, in the past decade, actually, uh, from prototyping to actual manufacturing of components that are deployed in technologies. That's, uh, that's great. So um, we, this is the second episode that we dedicate to supply chain, Raimundo. And the first one, we talked about how companies invest really a lot of resources in optimizing the supply chain. So this um, topic about 3D printing 
um, obviously can bring a lot of benefits and probably even differ differentiators for your supply chain. So um, why don't you go a little bit into detail of how can 3D printing really help the industry and how can this type of technology, again, in special times like or critical times like today, can even help more? Yes, so I'm going to start by discussing some of the general advantages of 3D printing, uh, more focused on the metal side uh, of uh, the application, and then I will move towards uh, this, the, the impact on supply chains. Um, so in the context of metal 3D printing, one of the most immediate benefits is the fact that you have a shorter value chain, uh, where you go from the production of the metal or the alloy then the transformation of that alloy into powder okay and you know let me draw a parenthesis here uh 3d printing of metals relies a lot on powder technology so basically we print we deposit powders uh, so going back to the value chain discussion so you have metal production then you transform those metal like that metal or the alloy into powder then you print with different types of 3D printing, uh, metal 3D printing technologies. And then sometimes you may need to do some finishing treatment or processing where you, you know, uh, improve the surface conditions or do a secondary heat treatment uh, to try to bring some properties up, etc. But this is very different from the traditional way in which metals are turned into shapes, where you actually start with metal production but after metal production, there are a bunch of steps like forming, forging, cutting, machining, drilling, and so on, up until the point where you actually have a finished part, right? So you reduce the number of steps in the production chain quite significantly. Another advantage of 3D printing is uh, low waste. And uh, that means that, you know, you basically use the material that you print um, in subtractive manufacturing, for example, in some industries, you can take up, up to, you know, 60-70% of the total mass of material to produce the part that you want, right? So, uh, you know, in the aerospace industry, for example, if you're looking at a specialized titanium uh, alloy component, um, uh, the ratio between the green mass, okay, going into your manufacturing you know, uh, facility and the mass of the component uh, could be quite high, right? To the point that just 10 or 20% of the total mass going into, you know, the fabrication facility is turning into a useful part. Uh, so definitely low waste is an important attribute of 3D printing, particularly when dealing with a specialty or high-performing alloys. Um, 3D printing also helps you uh, in terms of uh, the cost associated with production when you don't really are producing at scale, right? Where you are basically, I mean, if you want to print, you know, a million uh, screws uh, per hour, maybe 3D printing is not useful to you. But let's say that you are an aerospace company and you have, you know, a very large capacity airplane and you produce maybe, you know, a hundred of those per year. And maybe you have to create an inventory for those, you know, for some components of that system. Uh, you can probably afford to do this in 3D printing. And in some cases, because of the, you know, the fact that you're not trying to ramp up an entire production line, for example, 
um, and you're just limited by um, the you know you're just limited by you know what you're trying to fabricate at a time you can actually bring significant uh, cost benefit uh, to you know the fabrication process another advantage of 3d printing is that it gives you a lot of freedom for design so for example there are some components or there are some parts that are made for example out of you know 15 different components that have to be glued or welded or joined in some way or, uh, or another. And you can actually, with 3D printing, design a very complex shape and form uh, in a single monolithic uh, you know, piece of material, right? Um, another advantage of 3D printing is that because you can do this complex layer by layer, the position of material, you have a lot more freedom uh, to experiment with, and you're not limited to design primitives like that all engineers use such as cylinders bars cubes plates you can actually have your design design primitive be you know essentially a box of material that you're printing in three-dimensional space uh, because you have these degrees of freedom or this greater freedom you can actually afford to do customization where you tailor the design of the thing that you're making for a specific application uh, for example, in the biomedical uh, industry, you could imagine 3D printing highly customized implants, for example, uh, to replace hips or knees or other types of uh, parts of the body. Now, going back or going to the supply chain advantages of 3D printing, one of them is that uh, you have distributed manufacturing. So you could actually have 3D printers uh, located whenever you need them. For example, you have a factory uh, in a remote place or you, have a, you, you, you actually are in an oil platform, right? And you need a component that the price itself is not very large. It's probably a hundred bucks or you know, a thousand bucks. Uh, but when it doesn't work, your whole production stops at the cost of $10 million per year. You could probably afford to have a bunch of 3D printers on site to produce whatever part is broken so you can keep your production at the same level as uh, under nominal conditions. Um, another advantage of you know, 3D printing is the fact that you have agile supply chains. So if you can actually fabricate on the spot, you don't rely on having a full supply chain that is fully operational at all times. And, you know, you were alluding to the problems that we have had recently with COVID. And, you know, when, when COVID, uh, you know, started to become a news item, we were well aware uh, in the U.S. and everywhere in the world that there were hospitals that lacked some basic equipment that was not too expensive. But, you know, hospitals and states and, you know, uh, state governments and, you know, the governments of entire countries couldn't find specific uh, parts or components needed to take care of patients with this disease because the supply chains were disrupted. There was an infection in China, perhaps, in one factory. That factory shut down. That factory maybe supplied some material or some components to another factory that assembled them in Taiwan. And then, you know, perhaps that factory was also closed. And, you know, you know, that factory supplies some material to Germany or France or whatever. And you can see immediately how 
just one disruption somewhere in the supply chain can basically prevent you from getting something that is critical to take care of your population, right? So, you know, I think that in light of what has been going on with COVID, um, we can actually see that this is probably one of the most uh, salient advantages of 3D printing. And we actually saw in the news many instances where hospitals, you know, were able to go around existing supply chains and uh, acquire uh, components or, uh, you know, biomedical equipment that was produced with 3D printing uh, in a rather rapid way. And as far as I understand, uh, there are a lot of universities, for example, in the U.S. and elsewhere, who are actively trying to design and fabricate things through 3D printing to, you know, to support some of the supply chains that remain disrupted. So, so tell me, this is this is fascinating. So, um, tell me a little bit, Raimundo. So, is your research right now um, because we're talking about essentially parts that are going to be used, you know? for for the entire cycle of the of the product or for the entire just as an, a component item not necessarily a temporary item that you can get by while you get the real part is the research right now going on the longevity of the part being produced or is it right now focused on getting out of the trouble um until the part comes comes by um you know i'm just i'm just curious where where the, in what phase are we in in this technology i Frankly, research-wise, I think that we are everywhere. Uh, every aspect of 3D printing, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on metals again because that is the area that yeah. I'm focusing on, right? Uh, there's a lot of activity in the polymer side, not so much on the ceramic side, although there's more and more activity there. Uh, actually, there is even research going on on actually how to 3D print buildings, okay? So, you know, the civil engineering uh, field is probably being revolutionized as we speak with 3D printing uh, ideas. But I will, I will. Uh, like a full size building, we're talking. Yeah, we're talking about full size building or elements of building, you know, printed on site. Okay, and actually. That is incredible. I, yes, I have a lot of colleagues uh, or some colleagues who are working uh, in that type of, you know, technology arena at the university level. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. But going back to metals, there's a lot of research on the basic physics of what goes on. You know, it turns out that most metal 3D printing occurs by locally melting powder, either with a laser beam or with an electron beam. And the physics is highly complicated. You can imagine that you have, you know, you have to understand how energy is deposited in the material and how the material is heated up and how it melts and how it solidifies. Uh, so there's a lot of basic research in that area. Uh, there's also a lot of research on, or not, actually, there is not enough research, if you ask me, but uh, the field is going there on actually trying to design alloys that can be printed. And uh, this is some. This is an important, uh, you know, challenge that we're trying to overcome, because if you think, for example, of all kinds of metals, actually all alloys come with a manufacturing technique in mind. For example, uh, you know, uh, magnesium wheels, you know, for cars, they are not made out of any magnesium alloy. The magnesium alloys that are castable have some special properties. The same thing happens with aluminum, etc. Right. So. The idea is 
people are trying to figure out how you design materials so they are, you know, 3D printable, okay? Uh, there's also a lot of research on how do you actually accelerate the design process so you can go from the design of the part to the design of the process to the set of instructions that go into the machine in a fast way because that still is kind of slow. So, for example, you can do a lot of customization, but it takes a lot of time to customize the design, right? So, ideally, for example, just to go back to the example of a patient that needs a hip replacement, Ideally, you would like to go from a CAT scan to the actual instruction that goes to the 3D printer in a day or two, right? We are very far away from that uh, capability, okay? So there is research on that. There's also research on how to control the process. These laser or electron beams travel at 2 meters per second, okay? So they're, you know, switching around the two-dimensional plane where they're actually locally melting the material and imagine that if for whatever reason there is uh you know one section of the part that has a defect you know you would like to detect it and then correct the print in real time uh but we are still decades away from being able to do that right so that is on the materials and manufacturing side i guess you know going back to the supply chain aspects of this there's a lot of research going on, for example, you know, how do you actually reorganize entire industries around this notion that you have distributed manufacturing, right? Um, there also a lot of, there's also, you know, some incipient research on cybersecurity. Uh, you know, how do you prevent others from uh, creating uh, fake versions or non-original versions of your own component? How do you fight uh, against uh, this type of counterfeiting, for example? Uh, it's quite a challenge. Uh, there's another complication that comes out of the advantage of 3D printing. So with 3D printing, you can send through internet, you know, the bits, the information that goes into the machine to print the part uh, but you could imagine that somebody could intercept that information and modify the design so the part that you're making actually fails where it should actually work right so there's a lot of uh, activity right now in uh, the realm of cybersecurity, trying to figure out how you actually make 3d printing cyber safe so there are many many different uh, types of problems that universities, uh, national laboratories in the U.S. and everywhere in the world are trying to solve to make this technology uh, more impactful uh, in uh, the real world. Yeah, I was thinking that, and it's uh, we. Were, I was thinking how the, all the benefits that you were discussing, and then um, w one of the things, and you briefly mentioned it, is the I guess the pirating of the design, right? Basically, whether it's for to steal and reproduce, or even worse, to modify, uh, you know, modify the the design and make it render it useless or even dangerous. Um, what about uh, in the aspect in that same topic about the patents? So now you have a patent on this particular part. You have a patent on the. Um, I guess it it all comes 
uh, with the cybersecurity you, you were mentioning, but how do you protect the, the, the original design of this product, right? I mean, um, how easy could it be to reproduce? Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just yes. curious. What are your thoughts about the patent? Yeah. So, you know, I must, I must confess uh, that I'm not an expert on intellectual property. I have served that expert in some intellectual property cases, and I have some patents, you know, that I have, uh, you know, been part of. Uh, but I have been to several talks when people have brought this issue of intellectual property and 3D printing. There are issues because you're actually, when you specify a part to be printable, you're specifying some sort of software, some type of computer code that tells the machine how to print. And, you know, I don't want to be very assertive in what I'm saying because, again, I'm not an expert on, on patent law. But somebody told me once that, uh, and your audience should look it up uh, if they're more interested in that, but um, apparently, you know, the actual design specification as code uh, may be, uh, you know, more difficult to do than an actual component. Another aspect than, than to patent an actual part, another aspect that I see may be problematic in terms of intellectual property is the fact that if you take advantage of customization, how do you actually specify the design, you know, that is patentable when every time that you encounter a new potential application, you actually change the design? Okay. So are you going to design based on, you know, some basic principle of functionality and then your design may not be too, you know, may not be concrete enough, you know, so, you know, somebody's killing the art can actually understand that that belongs to you as an intellectual property. So I think that 3D printing is bringing a lot of challenges from that perspective. Another important, uh, you know, challenge that I just, uh, that I'm just thinking about is the fact that, you know, because you are manufacturing customized parts, there's really no standardization anymore, right? So a lot of industries, particularly industries that rely on highly uh, reliable, sorry for uh, repeating myself, uh, components, uh, because failure is critical to life, are heavily regulated, right? So the aerospace industry, in order for you to actually get a plane flying, you know, uh, out of an airport, every single component and subsystem and complete system has to be fully validated, right? And you have to basically qualify and certify every single element of the design to make sure that it's not going to fail catastrophically uh, and, and put the lives of hundreds of passengers in danger, right? So the same thing applies, for example, to uh, the biomedical industry with FDA, uh, you know, the automotive industry is also regulated, although, it's, you know, the designs are, you know, a little bit more forgiving or the regulations are a little bit more forgiving because most of the times if your car stops working, you know, it stays on the ground. If an airplane stops working, it just falls, right? So um, when you have custom designs, then, you know, how do you use a standard when every single component potentially could be different, right? So how do you standardize a customizable design? And I think that that is one of the, I think that probably on the policy side, that 
may be one of the most significant challenges that we must overcome because we actually have to rethink the way engineers uh, design things because we engineers uh, design to code, right? So we try to make sure that whatever design we have falls under a particular code that was set by a particular organization, guaranteeing that if you follow that instruction, uh, those instructions to the letter, you're going to minimize risk to whoever uses that particular system that you're designing. Okay. So, uh, and you're talking about safety factors and those kind of design elements, correct? Safety factors, or for example, the way you test the material, you know, there are ASTM standards that tell you, well, I mean, if you have this alloy under this heat treatment, you have to test it this way or that way. Right. And if you measure a property that is within, you know, expected range of values, then your design is safe, okay, or your material is safe. So uh, the whole process of, you know, following standards when you have highly customizable 3D printed parts is still kind of like a question in its infancy, but it's going to become more and more important as different industries adopt 3D printing to make more and more uh, components critical to the technologies that they commercialize. Mm-hmm. So uh, we talked about the challenges with intellectual property, the design uh, process, I guess, the design knowledge. Then we talked a little bit about the heavily, well, the regulated industries where, I mean, I guess life depends on those components. What can you tell me a little bit about on the production side, on the manufacturing side? Is it, are there limitations in size and speed and uh, cost of production? Yes, uh, you know, I, and I, I, I think I alluded to some of these challenges uh, before. So, you know, one of the main things that we have to consider is the fact that 3D printing is not fast. Okay, so it is cost to deposit metal on a layer by layer basis. Just to give you an idea, you know, usually the layer thickness at which you, you know, print something is in the order of, you know, 35 microns you know, to maybe from 50 to 100 microns, let's say. And there are physical reasons for that. Um, you know, the most powerful lasers that you can use commercially, you cannot melt, you know, huge chunks of material at a time, right? So you have to, you know, print, uh, you know, with a beam, laser beam that is 100 microns, and you basically melt, you know, and uh, a thickness of about 100 microns. So you have these 100 micron cubes of material that you are, you know, printing at every layer, right? And you can imagine that it would take hours to make something that is centimeters, you know, or tens of centimeters tall, right? So clearly, right now, you know, there is a limit in the type of, um, in the, in the time that it takes to make something. So what this means is that at least in the metals on the metal side. Uh, of the equation, the size of the parts that you can make, you know, out of a single material, right, uh, are not that big, right? So the commercial 3D printers, I mean, the built uh, chamber where you actually build the part are not very big. I mean, I think that probably they are in the order of, you know, a foot by a foot by a foot or, you know, something like that. So you cannot make, you know, huge parts out of this. Um, so uh, so size is a problem. You're limited to relatively small sizes. Uh, 
the cost of um, because of the fact that the price is low is also uh, an important limitation. But I must say that even those limitations are serving as an excuse to produce new technologies, right? So I understand that there are some new uh, 3D printing technologies coming to market, or at least they are being researched at the at the basic level where people are trying to melt a whole layer of material at a time, as opposed to rastering a beam that goes through the two-dimensional plane that you're printing, like the old you know, TVs where the electron beam was rasterized uh, across the screen, right? Very rapidly, so you didn't get to see you know, the spot uh, because it was done very rapidly. But this is how 3D printing works right now. And there are some technologies that are being developed where people actually try to melt a single layer at a time, right? Um, so there are other technologies that are being developed to solve this problem. But in general, 3D printing is bound to be a slow manufacturing technology uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, so that is probably one reason why you wouldn't want to build or fabricate uh, simple screws or nails uh, out of a 3D printer. There are many, you know, much more cost-effective technologies to do that, right? So 3D printing right now and, and for the next decades is going to be limited to high value, low volume type components. And therefore, the first industries to adopt 3D printing in a serious way are the high value, low volume industries, such as you know aerospace, for example. And to a certain extent, biomedical when it comes to, for example, uh, personalized implants, um, etc. Yeah, the the potential benefits, like we discussed at the beginning, are undeniable, right? I mean, um, I can see in the future storing really this uh, materials in powder form, and then um, if you place the 3D printing facility next to the consumer or the you know where the part is needed, it uh, will. Um, I can just imagine the flexibility on this on your supply chain, um, storing just different really uh, powders, I guess, on this with the with all the um, instructions in, in another side, in a secure side, and just producing um, flexible or, you know, components as they are needed. I mean, talk about just in time, talk about um, that pull production system, that would be incredible. Yes, and actually, I think that in some sense, for some types of applications or some type of challenges, we shouldn't look at the cost of the manufacturing process itself and the time that it takes to make it, we should look at the opportunity cost of not having that component. Okay. Right. So especially if they're high value. I mean, yes, actually, even if it's low value, I mean, for example, one case where it may be worth printing a simple screw or nail, right, would be if you are in an oil platform and your production value is $10 million a day, right? And if for whatever reason, you know, you don't have a particular screw that goes into a machine uh, that, you know, is integral to the actual production process. Uh, even if the part itself is very simple, right? If you don't have it, not having that part is costing you $10 million a day of production value, right? So, if, I mean, in some instances, 3D printing can be, you know, has to be evaluated as 
how costly it is not to have that particular part or component or system uh, with you. And we saw this going back to this uh, situation of COVID. We have seen this uh, on the TV, uh, on the internet over and over again. Uh, if you don't have a critical piece that goes into a respirator, you're putting people's lives at risk, right? And for someone to have a loved one in the hospital, the cost of not having that particular simple screw or you know component of you know some sorts is incalculable right so i think that in some cases we should look at the cost of the production process itself but in many cases at least for 3d printing in this early adoption stage we should also think about the opportunity cost of not having something that could otherwise be 3d printed Yep, that's in, yep, very well, good point. So, um, well, let's not wait until, um, why don't we continue monitoring this technology? Obviously, you're studying that and you're researching that as an expert. Uh, maybe we can check back with you in a few years and see where we stand. Let's not wait until another decade for you to, uh, to be a guest on this podcast. I, I really, really appreciate this. This is an an important and um, super interesting topic um, and really talking about the future and what it could be. So thank you so much, Raimundo. Okay. And uh, well, I appreciate it. And uh, let's talk uh, later. <laughs> thank you. Well, this is an Im incredible topic. Thank you so much for coming, Raimundo. Let's not wait until uh, 10 years for to receive an update from you. I would love to hear how this technology progresses over time. So don't be a stranger. Oh, Sergio, it will be my pleasure. And, you know, at the rate that the technology is evolving, I'm sure that we will have many more interesting things to talk about in a short period of time. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.